Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and delighted to have Billy and Rosa with me, plus a very special guest, Caroline Stefko of the brilliant N17 Women and Spurs Depot podcasts. Caroline will be with us to dissect a very weird game in Lisbon, look ahead to the team's return to Premier League action on Saturday against Leicester, and help us preview the belated start to the WSL season for Spurs women. Plus, of course, we shall be offering up our latest culture recommendations. Caroline, welcome. We're so delighted to have you join us. Thank you ever so much. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, really excited to be here on the pod with y'all. I've been listening since y'all started it last season, so it's it's awesome to be here. Well, we are thrilled. Um, and let's dive in. Also, Billy, Rosa, hi. Good evening to you both as well. Um, I want a number from you all. How worried on a scale of one to 10 were you by that defeat against Sporting? Caroline, you can go first. A number, please. Uh, I think just a three. A three. Okay, good. Not too hysterical to start there. Rosa, your number? Oh, yeah, maybe four. Okay, we'll just maybe we'll just go up in increments. (laughs) (laughs) Billy, any, any, any rise on four? No, I'm going to go for a three as well. Um, possibly rising, depending on both the start and lineup and the performance on uh, on Saturday. So yeah, it's three at the moment, um, but with potential to rise maybe. But I'm not too worried. Okay, I think I'm at a four as well. Um, maybe we'll go into some specific reasons right now. Um, Caroline, going into that match, did it well? Did that match pan out how you expected? We were just talking off there before about. It had a sort of strange, almost pre-season quality to the pace and sort of just large periods of it seemed to sort of amble by without sort of too much energy really going on from, from both teams. What, what, was, what was your read? 
Yeah, it's, I don't think it's what I was expecting. Um, just since we've had such a strong start to the season where we've been able to close games out really well. Um, and we saw the exact opposite of that with this game. Um, yeah, I, I think it just might be our our bad luck the last few years in Europe playing away, coming back to bite us once again, because it just felt like the team was not up for it the entire game. Well, I was going to say, is it luck or is it an attitude thing? I mean, we've we've really, I've, you know, we've not beaten anyone particularly impressive away from home since the Champions League final across, you know, three, three, four seasons now. And what does seem to be often the case is that we kind of look like we turn up to these places, often against pretty handy opposition, almost looking like we're expecting to win or for it to at least be a lot easier than it actually turns out. Is that fair or am I being far too mean on them? No, I think it's fair. Um, I think part of it is that we don't take these opponents seriously enough. And I've just kind of gotten the sense over the last few seasons, like across different managers that we've not really prioritized the European competitions Mm. as much as we have the league or the domestic cups which I, I'm not necessarily opposed to, but you do kind of want to see more of a, an intention since we're finally back in the Champions League after a while out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's perhaps fine when it's the Conference League, but maybe when it's the first away game in the Champions League group stage, you want a little bit more oomph. Um, Billy, what was, what was your take on the game? Obviously, we're talking the night after... Um, we've seen sort of 24 hours on Spurs Twitter that I think it's fair to say there's been a sort of full-scale meltdown. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah, being I'm... mean about our fellow Spurs fans or or anything, but it's been quite hysterical, maybe. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, during the game, I was checking BBC News, hoping that the King had died so we might get postponed at half-time. It was that bad, but I'm not like going into like full-on meltdown mode at this point because... It's our first loss since like April. It's literally been like, a, like an insane amount of time since we lost an actual game of football. Um, and it's just, I just kind of feel like we've been here before so many times, like that sort of disappointing away performance in Europe, as kind of Caroline said. Um, I'm not too worried about it though, because I actually think like Conte is quite a reactionary manager. Like, do you remember the famous example when he lost to Arsenal 3 0? Um, when he was Chelsea manager, he sort of changed the system and then went on to win the league from there. Um, and I think we maybe needed a loss with this sort of group of players and this sort of turgid football that we've been playing the last few games to make him realise, actually, I'm going to change it now. Um, because Conte is like, he's all about winning and we've been winning. So he's the kind of guy that thinks, I'm not going to change anything if we're winning. But he's also, you know, how much he hates losses, as he always talks about in interview, interviews. So I think in the long run, it might turn out to be one of those things where it kind of looked back on it as a turning point, hopefully. And I hope we get to see some personnel changes on Saturday because it's needed now. Um, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, there's just the same... It's it's not like it's really a surprise, the performance, because it's the same problems that we've had and it's the same players that have been letting us down. Um, so yeah, I'm not in meltdown mode by any, by any stage. Um, and I'm hoping that this is a sort of kick up the arse that we might have needed, really. Rosa, is this is this your first meltdown of the season? How are you doing? It is not my first meltdown of the season, I can say with pride. Um, it's my first sort of massive irritation of the season because I just feel like I was so ready to go in and kind of defend Conte's 
Catanaccio. Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like everyone's been saying, when are we going to start playing really good football? And I'm like, Glad's it's not going to happen. Like he's all about winning and he's all about defensive solidity. And then maybe we'll get a couple of goals. That's fine. It works. I had a whole conversation with my uncle yesterday where he was worried about the game. And I said to him, don't worry, we just don't concede. I don't have the stats of me right now, but I will get them to you. And, you know, as ever, when you say anything about Tottenham, like literally the next game, they decide they're just going to do their very best to prove you entirely wrong. So I was blessed to have not seen a moment of yesterday's game. But I just feel like they knew they knew what I was going to say. And they just wanted to be like, you're actually completely wrong. More fool you for feeling like this is settled. So to be honest, I'm just going to go back to my prediction at the beginning of the season. Where I was like. I don't feel like the roller coaster is going to stop anytime soon. I don't really feel like this is a turning point necessarily. I just think we've just got so many more ups and downs, to be honest. So that's mm. where I'm at, really. Um, Caroline, one of the main critiques of Conte that I was seeing online and have been seeing online since the game and during the game is around substitutions. And obviously we're in you know, a sort of new world now where it's five subs in every competition. Um, you know, we've, we've supposed to come into the season with this new level of squad depth that we've not had before. And yet we're obviously not seeing Antonio kind of twist an awful lot. He's seemingly staying very kind of loyal to the players that he seems to perhaps trust or know the system or give him that sort of defensive solidity that Rosa mentioned. Is it starting to piss you off? And why why do you think he's he's so sort of steadfast in no, this is what I'm this is what I'm doing. I'm not gonna be making sort of four subs in one go, or whatever. Yeah, it's it's something that's frustrated me about Conte for a long time. And I think part of it is like that he does have that loyalty to the players like Sun and Kane. And I think another part of it is that with his preferred style, you know, with these automations, I think it just makes him reluctant to really change things up because he wants to Mm. know exactly what he can expect from his team on, you know, on any given match day, Um, which is fine when it's working. But I think there are clearly times when we've needed a spark off the bench. And we saw that with Richarlison's first few appearances this season, you know, he, he brought that energy that was desperately needed in some some of those games um, early in the season. So I, I do think, I feel like I'm second guessing, you know, his intentions behind this constantly. Cause it, part of me wonders if he's like holding something back because we're so early in the season and he's wanting to kind of save some of those rotational players for when the fixture pileup really starts to affect the fitness levels, mm. you know, cause I, I think so far we've kind of been okay. Um, haven't really had any major, you know, injury scares except for Romero. But I, I, if we don't start seeing him using the subs soon, it's going to feel like a big missed opportunity because other managers are going to be using all five of their subs and making, you know, wholesale tactical changes in the matches. And if we're not responding, that's going to be an issue. Yeah. And I think like when it was really obvious and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the West Ham game when he didn't sub um, Hoybier when he was like half injured. Um, like Benton and Hoybier both got books and he didn't sub either of them. And like they're both players that love to like fly into the tackle. And as soon as they're books, they, they didn't do that anymore and sort of sports were having like more joy in midfield. I feel like Bissouma for either of those players would have changed the game quite a lot. And I was 
I, I just think, you know, you know that I love Conte, um, but I just think that was a bad move and it did not pay off. Um, and I was a little bit surprised because not only was it like um, we needed freshening up, as Caroline said earlier, but the, the yellow card made it like a given and it just mm. didn't happen. I don't really, don't really, I can't really get my head around why it didn't. Is it fair to say that Basuma is the biggest, not let down because it's like, it's September, it's ridiculously early in the season, I'm sure he's still going to become an excellent player for Spurs for many, many seasons. But of all the signings this summer, I think Basuma was the one that I assumed would just come in. He knows the league like the back of his hand. He, not, he doesn't just know the league. He's excelled in this league, playing in the exact position, in the exact role that we basically needed someone to come in and raise our level. And yet he seems to be sort of taking to the club, the system, the style of play, gaining Conte's confidence, the sort of slowest out of all of the signings almost. It's it's fascinating to me. Rosa, is it has it shocked you a little bit? I think to be honest, it is one of those things where you are sort of scratching your head about it. But and the only answer I can come up with is it is it must just be a natural consequence of the way we play and the way we win games. So if we were winning more games more comfortably I think we would have seen him much more, but mm. we win games quite narrowly. And so there just isn't a lot of breathing room. There's not a lot of space for kind of experimentation, I guess, or yeah. allowing someone time to settle. That's the only reason that makes sense to me because otherwise it's just very weird. That, and I guess that managers just love Hoybier and they're just never going to drop him. So, yeah. And, you know, we, we should have sort of longer memories than, 24 hours because you know we think back a couple of weeks to the West Ham game where we were without Benson Kerr for a match and you know everyone was was up in arms about oh my god we don't appreciate him when he's not there we miss him enormously he then comes back against Fulham on the weekend and him you know we were singing both their praises on on this very podcast sort of you know a few days after the West Ham game so obviously those two players are very good we're very fortunate to have both Pierre and Rodrigo but it would be lovely to see not just Basuma, but of course, Oliver Skip is apparently, you know, back to full fitness. We've not seen him on the pitch for a minute. Um, Caroline, what's surely soon we're going to see, we're going to see Skippy again, right? I sure hope so. Cause the longer he's out, the more I'm worried about, you know, was there long-term effects from this injury mm. that we, we just don't know about? Uh, yeah. It's really concerning. And kind of the same thing with Doherty at the wingback position, you know, he's another player that I feel like we should have seen a little more of by now, at least in sub appearances. And, you know, he's just been riding the bench. So uh, it's, it's going to come time that we have to start integrating these players back into the squad. And I hope it's sooner rather than later. Yeah. And wingback, I think is perhaps, you know, it's maybe my not bone of contention, but I think, Wingbacks, as we've discussed so many different times, and everyone always always chats about, wingbacks are so important to the success of a Conte football team, right? And I think we saw last night the sort of perfect. And Ash actually said to us in the in the text group earlier today, the problem with Royale is you just don't necessarily need Emerson Royale playing when you're the better team. Because when you're the better team, your wingbacks are going to be in goal-scoring positions. They're going to be high up the pitch constantly. You're going to be leaning on them, you know, as the people that are largely the ones in so much free space as the kind of extra man. 
you need them to deliver offensively and god bless our <laughs> hero and savior emerson royale the the king of the highlight reel but i think we saw yesterday right he is not our, our wayward crosser <laughs> our wayward crosser our nervy finisher our skewer of chances it's it's just i just don't think he's ever going to be that guy and Billy, I feel awful saying this with you sort of sat looking at me like I'm sort of kicking a puppy, but I'm I'm right, right? We do we have to start thinking about a post Emerson Royale world if we are going to kick on as a team? Yeah, and I think it's got to the point where it's a bit like introducing a woman who's over the age of 25 to the United Caprio. Like you can do it as many times as you want, it's never going to work. Um, and it's like the thing is like. You know, I bat for Amazon all day, but he doesn't even do the comps anymore. So he doesn't even drop those. So what is left for me to to go with? Like this guy, I can't do it anymore. I can't sit there every single day on Twitter and defend this guy when I've, I've run out of steam. Um, and yesterday was like, I think that was the, the the kingdom, the dawn of the kingdom for me. That's, that's the end. That's the end game. Like, I can't do it anymore. Um and I think it's a shame like, because you can see that he's, I saw someone on Twitter say he's obviously following Conte's instructions to the letter and he is. Like, he's getting into the positions of Conte wingback needs to be in, mm-hmm. but he just can't, he doesn't have like, the guile or the finishing or the technical ability to do anything with it. Um, so I think Conte's playing him because he is like following his instructions and he is being that guy, but he's just not, he doesn't have the ability to finish like Perisic could. Um, and the concern for me is like, I don't get what's going on with Doherty. Like, the reason which I, I maybe think it might be is because we have an absolutely insane October playing like seemingly every half an hour or something like that. And maybe he's just sort of thinking, right, I'll get to the international break playing this team. We'll come back after the international break. And that's when I'll integrate guys like Skip and Doherty and Basuma and people like that. That's the only thing I can really think of because Doherty was like a trusted Conte player mm. um, before his injury. And he's he's not even getting like sub appearances, like barely, even if he does, it's like a minute here and there. Um, so it's a sad day to decree the end of my sort of Emerson Royale love him, but all good things come to an end. And he's not even doing the comps anymore. Like, what are we, you know, that's it. That's <laughs> it. That was the last draw for me. It's over. And, you know, obviously a lot of people are calling, are calling for Jed Spence, which I think, you know, we need to be realistic about, right? Conte is not being backwards and coming forwards when talking about Spence not being his dude. That one, I guess we can part for a while, but would Rosa, Caroline, would you play dirty on the weekend perhaps? And perhaps more importantly, do you think Conte will make a change in that position, presuming that we are going to see a fair bit? Well, if we don't see a fair bit of the ball against Leicester, we should hopefully create a decent amount of chances against a sort of below-confident team like they are right now? I don't think he'll make a change, to be honest. <laughs> I just think I, like, I think he'll just stick with what he's been doing. Um, I'd pro- Yeah, I, I would like to see somebody else. Even I don't think it, it should be Spence, I guess, um, even though that would be fun. It would be nice to see Doherty alive, but I just I don't think he's going to do it, to be honest. Caroline? Well... I think a change has to be made just because Emerson is one of the players who's had the least amount of rest by my calculations. I think along with like Dyer and Poibier, you know, they're Mm. just kind of being run into the ground already. Um, So we have to see a change. I would like it to be Doherty because I do think he provides a lot more like goal scoring uh, potential than Emerson does. But if it's not going to be him, I, I suspect it'll probably be Perisic starting on the right and Sessegnon starting on the left instead. 
Um, I, I liked what we saw of Spence and his brief cameo against Nottingham Forest. Um, and I, I kind of feel like Lester would be a pretty safe opponent to let him get a run out against because they've just been hot trash this season. <laughs> um, but I don't know, Conte, he just doesn't seem to really feel too strongly about Spence at the moment. So that's too bad. Um, yeah, I just seen this um, a stat on Twitter yesterday that um, Emerson has started 18 consecutive games for us. The, la- um, the last game that he didn't start was um, before the Newcastle 5-1, in, which is before April in March. So you have to go all the way back to March 2022 to go back to a game that Emerson didn't start for us. Um, and I think Rose is right, to be honest. I- I'd be very surprised if he doesn't start versus Leicester. Like, it's just the way that he's sort of stuck by his players that are out of form. I just mm-hmm. can't see him being like, I'm going to drop this guy now. Um and yeah, it's a, it's a little bit it's a little bit frustrating, but you know, I I just kind of wondering now in the back of my mind if he's sort of wondering about this international break and sort of getting to there and then yeah. sort of starting again maybe or something like that. It's the weird thing about the sort of mini dirty renaissance that we saw was that it didn't really involve Emerson Royale not playing at right wing back because Dirty for a lot of it was playing on the left, right? That was the sort of curious bit of Dirty coming back into into fashion for Spurs was that he was kind of doing it out of position, but sort of making a menace of himself in front of goal and creating and looking quite useful. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be lovely to get some signs of life from, from, from Dowie. Um, Of course, the other big sort of selection issue, I suppose, is around, is around home Son, and I hate talking about Sonny in any sort of negative way. Anyone that knows me will know that it pains me to even suggest that he should not be starting matches for Tottenham. But Billy, you kind of described it earlier to me as like the experiment hasn't worked in terms of like we tried to play him into form. We benched Kulu as a sort of perhaps like, well, how, how did you describe it to me, Billy? Yeah, I think so. Like it got to a point where obviously he was playing into into form. Um, at the beginning, there was a couple of questionable games where he, he was he was poor at the beginning, and Conte stuck by him. Um, and then he kind of had that Fulham game where he played well, um, but he hasn't scored. Um, and then he, the kind of Marseille game, he had the sort of red card incident, which was you know a kind of positive. Um, but he's just had another really really poor game. So it's like what is it like eight or nine games out of no goals? Um, and I just think that's got to be the end of the experiment. Like you can't keep playing someone into form when mm. the player that is being benched is just making much more of an impact in the very small time that he has in Kulisevsky. And I think, I do think this will be the game that he has benched. I don't think Emerson would bench against Leicester, but I would be very, I'd be quite surprised to be honest if Son starts. It just feels like the natural end. I feel like everyone has sort of, it just feels like a natural conclusion now that this is going to be the end of that sort of little experiment. I can see why Conte did it. Because um, Son is, you know, he's obviously an incredible player for us. Um, and Conte has stuck by him. And, you know, he's he's always going to be there to do something like you, like he showed against Marseille. But I just think, I just feel like this is the end of that little experiment. And maybe it's time to switch tactic and think, right, just prove to what me what you can do off the bench, um, which is what Kudusevsky's done the last two games in a row. So, yeah, I'd be, I don't think he's going to play against Leicester. And he kind of alluded to that slightly in his quotes where he said if the game hadn't been rearranged, he might have made some different decisions. Mm. Um, he kind of implied that he would have dropped Son. Um, so I think it's coming in this game. I really do. Um, Rosa, do you think Sonny is the type of player to react well to, you know, say he's benched against Leicester, he comes on, you know, 65 minutes played or whatever, we need a goal. 
has has that sort of hour he spent on the bench had a positive effect on him maybe coming on and impacting the game? I'll be honest, it does really worry me because that's just not anything I've ever, like we've ever had to consider with him, right? He's always been the man to sort of step in and kind of be be the mm. star when we've needed him to be. Like all of those times when Kane got injured and we didn't have any sort of backup striker, but he stepped in and then he really has led the line really since, you know, since Kane tried, since he went AWOL, right? And I... And then it all kind of culminated in that glorious golden boot triumph. So this has been so wildly unexpected. I feel like I don't, I kind of, I feel sort of at a loss really. And I think it, you know, you see it in the football that we've been playing. I think if Son had been on form and playing how he can play, we would not have seen anywhere near the amounts of complaints we've seen about our style of play, right? Because it just, when when he plays like he can play, it's thrilling to watch. And so yeah. it, it doesn't matter if we don't have so much of the ball. So I just, I really, I don't know what to do. It feels like this is just a sort of classic Tottenham thing to happen, really, where we kind of finally get our elite manager and we kind of claw our way back into the Champions League and he wins a golden boot and then just doesn't score. Like That's got to be the longest run he's ever been on, right? Like, I, I, I imagine it just seems it was unfathomable season, yeah. to me. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. Caroline, how do you solve a problem like Sonny right now? Well, I think that's kind of a good point from Rosa that he's always been the player to really thrive under pressure. And so it could be that now that we have this, you know, increased squad depth with Richarlison coming in, he's kind of feeling like he doesn't know what his role is anymore. Um, or just that he doesn't have that kind of motivating factor of like really needing to come through for the team. Um, so I, for weeks now, I've been saying, you know, Conte's doing the right thing, trying to play him into form. But I think I have finally <laughs> accepted that he's going to need to rest. Um, and I think it's just because he's overthinking everything. Like you can mm. see it in his play. There's He's making everything complicated when he just needs to be doing his sunny thing, you know. Yeah, and I saw um, I saw an interesting stat on Sky Sports um, today actually that at this point in 2018, Son had scored zero goals as well, and he went on to score 20 goals that season. I think last season he had like three or four goals, and I think generally um, he's never had more than like five goals at this point in the season. He's sort of a player that's like a notorious slow starter. So okay. um, I think like in the in the wider context of things, I think it might just be as Rosa said, like that golden boot kind of like accentuates it even more. Um, and maybe we're just going to sort of see like him, you know, he, when he gets informed, so he's such a confidence player, he'll go on a massive run of scoring in like yeah. 12 games in a row or something like that. But I don't think it's as worrying as maybe we, as it feels like it is because, you know, in 2018-19 season, um, he had zero goals at this point as well. So I think maybe it's time for a little change of strategy, put Kudoseski on, bring Son on a game, like 20 minutes to go, he'll probably score and then that'll be the end of it and we will look back on this time again like we did in 2018. I guess as well, it's accentuated by the fact that when Kulisewski does come on, as he did last night, and he goes on that that really sort of buccaneering run on the right wing and gets a free kick just outside the area, and suddenly the team looks alive. You know, he's we we do now have another option, an elite option. You know, arguably there are not many more, you know, more effective right wingers in European football than than Dejan Kulisewski right now, and he's not playing and there's not really a reason why 
he's not playing other than the fact that Conte, you know, really, 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 really wanted to play Sonny into form, which is a, you know, is a fine reason, but we've got this guy now and it's about time we probably let him off the leash. Right, Caroline? I mean, he's got to start on, on Saturday, yeah? Yeah, he has to start for sure. I do think because of the way that he plays, I think he's a player who probably will need a little more rotation throughout the season. Um, I, I just don't see him as being someone who can play a full 90 week in and week out the way like Kane has been so consistent. Um, Why is that? Why would you say that? I just think it's because he's he's a very physical player and mm. he he just how do I make this sound like not a negative? Um, <laughs> he he goes about things the hard way sometimes, I think. Um, and and it's not a negative thing because he gets us out of a lot of tight situations doing that. Um, but I, I just don't think he uh, he he really goes all out every time he's on the pitch. I don't think he it's in his nature to like hold something back. So yeah, I, I, I was kind of feeling after the first few games, I was like, Oh, he's already looking a bit leggy. Like he might already need a rest. Yeah. So I didn't, I wasn't upset with Conte for making that decision, especially since Richarlison was in such hot form and he needed the minutes. So it balanced out. You know, Kula's only, he's a baby still, right? As well. He's what, 22. Yeah. You don't want to overwork him too soon. To be honest, though, I feel like those early games, that's because it was hot here, Caroline, and that boy <laughs> cannot be out in the midday sun. That's that's the reason. <laughs> that makes sense. There's, there's, a, there's a reason that no one started a Premier League career as hot as he did, because he joined in January when it was dark and cold and freezing. It was perfect Kulisewski conditions. <laughs> and he is Swedish, so there you go. There you go. Loves the darkness. <laughs> Um, how, this is a big question that I've a bit mean for asking, but, and it's, and it's slightly reacting to some of the, some of the Twitter stuff that we've been reading, but how, how can this Spurs team become more fun? Is it as simple as Rosa perhaps puts forward that we just need to see Sonny kind of finishing off some more, you know, thrilling counter attacks? What, give me, give me one thing that needs to happen. I want one thing from each of you to make Spurs more fun? What, what's what's your one thing? Billy, you start. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to go for um, a change at right wing back. I just think like, if you're talking about fun, like, I, I really enjoy watching Perisic and it kind of like highlights even more how much mm. the imbalances between the right wing back and the left wing back. Like Perisic is basically like a, a mirror to the right wing back of like, this is what you should be doing all game. This is how you should be playing. Um, so I'm going to say a little change at right wing back, get Doherty in there who, you know, for all his faults, he does have the ability to put a cross into the box. He does have the ability to score. He's a much better finisher than Emerson. Um, so that's my change. Change at right wing back and we'll start to see better. We'll start to see a bit more fun. Okay. Rosa, your one? Um, mine is acceptance. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most Rosa when... answer we've given. <laughs> When you have children, that you have to meet them where they are. You have to, you can't just say, you need to stop having a tantrum. You need to sleep. You have to just adjust your expectations. And this is what I think we should all do with Tottenham and with Antonio's, with Antonio Conte's Tottenham in particular. We got to meet them where they are. They are not just, just find the joy in what they're doing already. That is my advice. 
very very blissful advice um <laughs> caroline what's yours please I think that we need uh, Hoybier to continue improving his pass selection, which I think he has been this season. Um, he's been making a lot more of those creative through passes and just getting the most out of him. Like we see when he plays for Denmark, I think he mm. can be a really a, a good spark in the midfield, which is really what we're kind of, you know, crying out for at the moment. Okay. And we, yeah, you're right. We have seen that from him, not just, I mean, he's he's scoring a few more goals. He's he's kind of expressing himself a bit more in such a midfield. So it'd be lovely to see a bit more of that. Um, lastly, on Sporting, um, one guy who was definitely expressing himself last night was Marcus Edwards. Um, I'm just I'm thrilled. I mean, I feel really mean saying this because it would have been such an incredible moment for him. Um, but I'm thrilled he didn't score that goal. That oh, I'm, I'm thrilled he didn't finish that incredible sort of Maradona esque run with a goal because we never, ever, ever would have heard the end of it. Um, I was also not as upset when they scored their second goal sporting because I initially thought it was Edwards that had scored. And I was like, oh, of course, of course, Edwards has like finished us off. That when that'll be it now for weeks. We'll just be hearing about the player we let go, destroying our Champions League hopes. But it did, it got me thinking about dispersed. I mean, we don't seem to be having youngsters like that coming through, these sort of skillful, super technical dudes. We seem to have this sort of conveyor belt of kind of World War One-looking-esque sort of central midfielders with, they're all called Harry and, you know, Oliver, and they've got neat haircuts and can complete sort of passes at 95% completion rates and all the rest of it. But whether it's... It's Edwards or it's, um, I'm going to say his name horribly wrong, but Mad- Madwike at, at PSV. You know, these sort of skillsters that we seem to have let through our grasp. What's what's going on? Caroline, have you got any read on or any take on perhaps the sort of Tottenham, I don't know, exodus of skillful attackers over the last sort of five, ten years? Yeah, I think it just goes down to the fact that they have to do what's best for their career. And I think a lot of them realize that they're probably not going to be getting significant minutes with the squad that we have right now. I mean, we were just talking about Conte being reluctant to make subs that Mm. that contributes to younger players, not getting minutes either like Spence. Um, And that's why we found it so difficult to get a secondary striker in for so long. Um, Cause nobody, you know, nobody wants to play second fiddle to these players that our most recent managers have shown they're not going to drop. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Um, Billy Edwards did look really good, didn't he? Yeah, he did really look really good. And I'm, I'm just happy for him. Like, I don't really see like, you know, sometimes these things don't make me happen. feel bad. I just did a whole <laughs> run about how. No, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, don't <laughs> worry. Don't worry. I've got plenty of hate for him as well. If he would have scored, but I just feel like sometimes, like the whole emphasis on oh man, Tottenham made such a big mistake letting him go. But you know, sometimes these things just don't work out, and it's okay that he's doing all right mm. in another club. And I feel like the same for like Carl Walker Peters as well. Like sometimes they needed the change to do well. Like he might not have ever made it at Tottenham if we'd have kept him. Like Kyle Walker Peters might not have ever made it at Tottenham if we kept him. Um, so yeah, I'm sort of like just I saw people saying it was like a huge mistake and he'd be starting for us. Whereas I don't think that's actually true. And you think about you know our front three and what they can do. Um, so yeah, I just feel like it's one of those things. It's sort of just sort of is what it is. And it's not, I don't think it's like one of the major mistakes that we'll ever make as a football club. It's just a guy who's gone to another country and is doing all right. 
and um, that's okay that we sort of let him go. I think that's, that's a really lovely way to put that, Billy. I'm glad we've um, we finished that little segment on such a such a thoughtful note. Um, I want your predictions, uh, your score predictions for Leicester now, please, team. Um, Rosie, you can go first. What's the score going to be? Um, go for it. Two nil to us. <laughs> I don't think we'll run riot just because I just I don't think that's what we do. Um, but I would hope that we would beat them because they're an absolute fucking shambles, and it would be a disgrace if we didn't. <laughs> I mean, I would take a 2-0 after the, what, three home games so far this season where I've sat there, like, chewing down my nails, setting iPhone timers, kind of clinging on to whoever's unfortunate enough to sit next to me. 2-0 sounds lovely. I would take a nice bog-standard 2-0 home win any day of the week. Um, Caroline, what's your prediction, please? I'm going to go with 3-0. I'm feeling a little more optimistic uh just because Leicester we have always played fairly well against them even when they had Casper Schmeichel and now that he's gone their goalkeeping situation is even worse so yeah I feel pretty confident that we can get at least three goals against them who's who's scoring your three goals do you reckon I reckon it's going to be Richarlison Kulisevsky and Perisic nice Nice yes. set of scores. It'd be nice to see. Perisic needs his first goal as well, doesn't he? he That's does. kind of gone under yeah. the radar a bit. He's obviously assisted a few, but it'd be lovely to see him get that get that first goal. Um, Billy, yours, please. To be honest, I think that if you're in a lull, like the best thing you could hope for is a team of a manager so arrogant that he's not going to sit back and he's going to come at you. And that is basically like chicken food for chicken feed for Conte. Um, so I think we're going to smash him 4-0. I think it's like the perfect, um, this is going to come back to bite me madly, but I think it's going to, it's like the perfect possible game for us. Like it's a team that are in disarray, but their manager is so like, cocksure that he's not going to sit back and try and spoil for a draw they're going to come at us and we're just going to pick them off really easily like I think we couldn't ask for a better game than this one um which I know will be clipped in about a week's time there's a terrible thing to say but I'm really confident about this one to be honest I think we'll be in 4-0 um I was going to say 4-0 as well mainly because Ash isn't here to tell me off for being over optimistic but um I'm going to go the other way I think we're going to win 1-0 and it's going to be it's going to be one of those days that we just have to sort of sit and grin and bear it for 70 odd minutes until we score a goal from a corner or something. But you know what? That's fine. Cause I think we just need to get through to the international break and kind of have a bit. Everyone just needs to sort of calm down a bit. I feel like it's all getting a little bit hysterical on this Island right now. And um, a couple of weeks away from it, we'll, we'll do us all good. Um, as one league sort of wraps itself up for a little bit this weekend, another league, uh, finally gets going. I say finally because, of course, Spurs women should have kicked their season off last weekend at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against Manchester United, but um, for reasons that we don't need to go into right now because we would be here all day, they didn't. Instead, they also, they, they play Leicester this weekend as well, right? Am I right in saying that? Um, yeah, so two Leicester matches for, for Spurs this weekend. Um, Caroline is here to guide us through a little bit of a season preview for Spurs women Um, and I know Rosa you've also been keeping very close tabs on particularly the incomings um, over the summer which to my kind of far more uneducated eyes 
it looks like we've done a pretty decent job of plugging some fairly substantial gaps in the squad. Caroline, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's that's very fair. We've had a really solid transfer window. Um, it was not necessarily the flashy transfer window that I think we were kind of hoping for. Um, I know I personally well, that, was, I was hoping gonna to ask see... there, actually. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Because, I mean, I think obviously the hope was always, oh, we'll sign a Lioness and it'll you know be a big splashy thing and whatever. Is, is that realistic? You know, I, I feel like I don't quite yet have a handle on perhaps the level of investment that Tottenham are willing to make with the women's team. So far, it's felt kind of gradual, gradual progress. We'll sort of put a bit more money in each season. Is it fair to say that we've sort of taken a leap in terms of investment this summer? Yeah, definitely a, a small leap, at least, because we did buy out um, contracts for at least one of our new signings, I know. Um, and... I think it's turn as far as it goes with like signing a lioness that was never super realistic um, because the, the lioness players that did move this summer, they were going to teams like Barcelona, Bayern Munich, you know, teams that historically have had like the most investment in the women's game. And actually Kiara Walsh, um, she just got signed by Barcelona for a record fee. Uh, and we, we don't have a whole lot of information on exactly what Tottenham women's financial situation is. It's kind of shadowy and secretive. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't think we were ever going to sign one of those like top, top, top signings, but there were some players who definitely would have been gettable um, like Ebony Salmon. She's not, you know, currently, or at least in the Euro, she wasn't with the Lionesses, but she's a very promising English player who ended up moving to the Houston dash. And I was really hoping we were going to make a move for her. And we did sign a player, um, Celine Bizet-Ildusoy. I'm probably not saying her last name right. Um, she's kind of an up-and-coming player from the Euros uh, for Norway. So, yeah, we're, we're, we made some signings that were not maybe as like flashy as other teams, but I think are going to end up being really important to the squad in the sense that they like fill some holes that we had and also – we're going to be a lot more attacking this season, I think, based on the signings that we made. That felt like the biggest issue, right, Rosa, last season, just turning, you know, very, very tight draws, low-scoring games into wins with a few more goals. There just didn't seem to be that goal scorer through the squad. Yeah, that was definitely my impression. To be honest, um, my big question the sort of question I want to kind of us all to think about, but and the question to Caroline really is: I feel like I don't know what the team is going to look like this season because I do think before the transfer window, I had it in my mind that the team was very solid, good defense, you know, solid midfield, and all we needed was you know a few more attackers, right? But it, I feel like the transfer window didn't play out that way, so a few people left, and I felt that some of the people who left that was a bit unexpected. Um, like Maver and Rachel, for example. And so we ended up, we seem to have brought in like a, almost a whole new midfield and like sort of half of a new defence. So I don't know whether that means the team's going to look completely different or these are reinforcements or some of those are players who are going to take us to the next level, maybe. It all looks a bit up in the air to me. And I don't know, Caroline, if you've got a better sense 
of where you think the team, what you think the team's going to look like, you know, because you went to the um, preseason friendly tournament, right? Yeah. And I, I think it's fair to say that we don't necessarily know what the team is going to look like in terms of lineups week in and week out just yet. Cause even in preseason, Rianne was doing a lot of tinkering and trying different formations. Like we were switching from back three to back four, even within games. So that's kind of up in the air. I think that our defense, you know, which was a huge part of us making that kind of charge for the third spot early in last season uh, was because we were so defensively solid and Shalina and Molly have this perfect partnership. And now we're bringing in Amy Turner um, and trying to sort of transition to a back three. And it, I think it's going to take a while for it to become solid again, but I, I feel pretty confident that it will because Amy Turner is a, you know, a very experienced player and with the midfields that we had so many changes in the midfield kind of by necessity, because we've got players who are out long-term like Kit Graham and Rhea Percival, you know, they both had season ending injuries last year and are going to be coming back at different points this season. But, and then with Maya Vaclemeron leaving, I do think she was probably the most significant departure this summer um, just because she was a big part of, the defensive solidity as well. You know, she kind of set the tone from the midfield for that. But I think with the players we brought in, we're going to have a more dynamic midfield to start with. Um, the The player that I'm excited about in the midfield is Angrad James. Uh, she's a Welsh international. And she has just such a great passing range. Like it, it immediately hit me when I was watching her in the preseason games that she's going to be creating new attacking routes that we just didn't have last season. Um, and the same kind of goes with Drew Spence. I got to see a lot of her this summer as well in the CONCACAF tournament. She was playing for Jamaica, obviously. Um, and she she has this knack for finding that like long range through pass that just goes over the lines. And we have some speedy attackers who can take advantage of those kind of plays. So I, I I'm feeling positive about the team overall, you know, like I said, we don't have the big names that, you know, casual fans might recognize, but I think we're going to have players that will get it done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some, and those two in particular, I think, um, well, actually those three, I guess, Amy Turner and Hara James and Drew Spence, they're not like big flashy names, but they are like known names, aren't they? So they are players with a lot of experience. Um, I know that our queen Jenna was really excited about Drew as in particular. So it's very cool to like hear you talk about her more. And, you know, to bring in somebody like Amy Turner as well, it's that thing of, okay, you can't, she seems like a player that you can't sort of not play, right? So that's why the sort of shift in defense is happening. Um, what, how do you feel about our new attackers? Do you feel like we're going to finally get some goals? That's the big question, right? Yeah, it's the huge question. <laughs> I, I do feel more confident this season that we're going to be scoring more goals because uh, we brought in this young Polish striker. Her name's Nikola Karczewska, and she's already getting a lot of comparisons to like Harry Kane, which I don't normally like to do comparisons between the men's and the women's game, but it's kind of apt in this case because, you know, they're both just like big, sturdy players. Um, she's great at hold up play. Uh, we even saw in some of the preseason matches where she would tend to come a little further back in midfield and be like creating plays as well. 
So yeah, there's a lot of similarities there and hopefully she can develop her header game as well. Since she does have that height advantage, um, which I feel like you don't see quite as much of in the WSL. And there's also um, uh, Ellie Brazil, right, as well, who I've read a fair bit about, and she seems very, very highly rated coming from Brighton. Yeah, she's definitely like a, an up-and-comer. Um, she's been in some of the England youth teams, uh, but I don't think she's ever made her like full English debut. Um, but what I saw of her in preseason is that she has this incredible pace. Uh, so that's going to be a huge asset, kind of like I was talking about um, maybe having a partnership with Drew Spence um, coming off of some of her passes. And, you know, we still have Jess Naz, who I, I feel like she's kind of been primed for her breakout season, like the past two years. And hopefully this will be the year that she really, you know, takes that leap and gets into like that upper echelon of players that that's where we want her to be. Cause that's the thing, right? I feel like whenever I, whenever I watch Spurs women, it's always Jess Naz that grabs my attention. She seems to be the most skillful. She seems to be the most direct. She's lightning fast. Is it just a consistency thing with her? Yeah, I think so. It's just, it's just finishing, honestly. Like she gets into so many good positions and she's just got to, you know, increase her goal tally this season, honestly. Um, but there's also our other winger, Rosella Ayan who she kind of splits opinion within the fan base, I think, because um, she's been with the team for a few seasons now and never really had the the goal numbers or the assist numbers mm. that we would like. I feel she's like so, she she's, could... so ten she's so technical and she she's one of those players mm -hmm. that seems to be always making the right runs and yeah. hold up play is very good. It's just that that sort of deadly instinct in front of goal. But then right. whenever I see her, you know, I follow her on socials and stuff. She's always scoring for Morocco and doing really well on international that's, duty. That's just what I was going to say. She had such a good summer with Morocco. And in that team, she's actually quite a leader as well. So I, I'm really hoping that she can make a leap this season because she is very good with her decision-making. Mm. Um, I sometimes talk about how, I wish that we could combine her and Kaya Simon into one player because Kaya has the finishing and Rosella has the decision-making. <laughs> I forget so. Kaya's still there. Is she, has she got another year's contract with us, right? Yeah, I think she does. And she, she missed a bit of the preseason with an injury, but she played on the, in the Chelsea game and she actually looked really sharp. So hopefully okay. she's going to have a good season. And one player, of course, we've not mentioned yet is our player of the season, uh, Ash Neville, who, of course, should have been playing for England in the Euros, but uh, was cruelly overlooked. Um, I wonder if we do go to a back three with wing backs, playing a bit further forward would seem to suit her, right? Yeah, last season, she even played at winger at times. And that was when she was sort of having that goal scoring run um, that she had mid-season. So I'm excited to see her playing higher up the pitch. And I think that's also going to unlock Azmita Ale um, as well, because she's, you know, uh, kind of plays on the opposite side and mm. they, they work really well together, interestingly, even though at one time they were kind of competing for, for minutes because they were playing the same position. But yeah, Ash Neville, like she's consistency epitomized. She's a huge leader in the team. Um, and she should have been playing for England. And I think that's a big shame. 
It's a real shame. Um, now, obviously, you know, the sort of trajectory that Spurs women have enjoyed has been pretty constant. Can we, however, take that that big seismic leap from, you know, kind of bobbing around sort of fourth, fifth, sixth to really looking at that top three? Do you think with the signings we've made, with the depth that we, it feels to me like we now have, right? We've sort of mentioned almost a few players per position there that all seem to be fairly um, fairly dependable WSL talents. Can we can we sort of make that leap to third? My, my worry, I think, would be that other teams have made some fairly splashy signings and, you know, the Arsenal's, Chelsea's, kind of Man United's of this world don't seem to be getting any weaker. Um, but maybe Man City are kind of falling away, maybe? Yeah, where I'm at is that I think fourth is a realistic target for us this season. Um, because Manchester United had a really strong transfer window, um, including signing Rachel Williams from Spurs. <laughs> was that a surprise, uh, by the way? Were we expecting Rachel to leave? Was it a kind of needing to, because she's, she's Welsh, right? So I guess she's a little bit closer to home up there. I, I had never had any indication that she had wanted to leave. Um, I guess it could just be that the, the club was wanting to maybe go in a younger direction mm. in our attacking, you know, forward line. Cause that's, that's kind of how it panned out signing wise. Um, but you know, her experience will be missed. I think it's good that we brought in some other, you know, more experienced players to kind of fill that void, but yeah, Manchester United are just looking very strong this season. And I, I think they're probably going to get the third spot, but Manchester city on the other hand, did not have as good of a transfer window because they lost a lot of really key players. Mm. Um, so, you know, Kira Walsh, Lucy Bronze, Georgia Stanway, Caroline Weir, who already knocked them out of the champions league, by the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> she's with Real Madrid now and, you know, got the winning goal against them. So, um, but yeah, they, they brought in other players, but they're kind of unknown quantities in terms of like WSL, you know, their players coming from, from overseas and are younger players too. So I don't think, even though they've replaced all these players, I don't think they've replaced them with players who are at quite the same caliber at this point in their career. So I think this is a good opportunity for Spurs to, you know, make that push and get that fourth spot. Um, especially yeah. with, yeah, go ahead, Rosa. No, I was just going to say, I really, it sounds like City are in a sort of weird kind of transitional mm -hmm. time. And I really, and it would be so great if we could fully take advantage of that. And I feel, to be honest with you, Rachel Williams is absolutely dead to me now because I was so shocked. And maybe this is just like pure naivety on my part. And I don't fully yet grasp the kind of movements in the WSL. I was just like, how the fuck could she go to Manchester United? And so that's it. That's done. And I sort of have, because I remember when is I Eric spoke. Sinders? <laughs> exactly exactly like how dare she but also I remember when I spoke to Jenna about like what is our sort of biggest rivalry beyond Arsenal and she was like actually there's quite a fierce rivalry of United because we came up through the leagues together and I feel so sort of aggrieved that they just have kind of managed to Manchester United it basically and it feels like they've just leapfrogged us and they just happen to have had these you know glorious like international talents who've then had a, like an amazing Euros um, and I just feel like you don't then go and help them out Rachel do you know what I mean so yeah. <laughs> you know I'm but by nature I'm a very very petty person so it was always going to land on somebody so it's just her turn this season yeah with United I think 
some of the players they had, especially on the England squad for the Euros, that was like a breakout tournament for them. So last season, I think Alicia Russo and Ella Toon were not like, you know, stalwarts in the United team, but they are going to be now. Hmm. Um, and they just, they made just enough tweaks in the transfer window. Like they also brought in um, Adriana Leone, a Canadian player who I regard very highly. Um, Nikita Paris, they got from uh, Arsenal, I think it was. Yes. I was hoping we were going to sign her. I don't know. I sort of maybe read something that we were sniffing around. Also, because her name is so close to my name, you just add an H. <laughs> I would have easily had a favourite player. Yeah, away. we we were. I've always liked her. her as well. So I was quite like when you mentioned that, Charlie. I was a bit like, oh, that'd be nice. But yeah, and then when we we were sort of lightly linked with um, Beth England too. Yeah, Beth England at Chelsea, right? But nothing mm-hmm. happened there. Yeah. But the last thing I would say about City also is that they, you know, their manager, Gareth Taylor, he doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of buy-in from the the squad, if you can believe the things that, you know, the departing players have said. (laughs) So I just think, again, like this is a, a good opportunity for us to get ahead of them that we have to take. And I think we did enough in the transfer window, making like incremental improvements to get there. And, you know, we have a superior coach to most teams, right? Rianne's pretty top-notch, so I'm I'm excited. One question I was going to ask, actually, what's the consensus, do you think, amongst fans around the stadium move? Obviously, we'd been at the Hive out in sort of Edgware, where Barnet play. We're now sort of gone east over to Leighton Orient. Is, it, is that a popular move, and do you think it will benefit the team? Yeah, I've had some insight into this because my co-hosts on In 17 Women, Rachel and Sean, they're both season ticket holders and they're also involved now with the supporters club. So they've heard from a lot of people about it. And it, it seems like there were a lot of people who liked the, I guess you could say, convenience of the hive because it was easier to travel by car, I suppose, to get there. Um, so some people are kind of disappointed because it was really you know, close to them previously. And now they're going to have more of a journey with the trains, which I understand are kind of a, you know, sticky situation right now. Um, But I think it's going to be a good thing in the long run because, you know, I think having the stadium just that little bit closer to the main stadium, we might be getting Mm -hmm. more fans who were regular match day goers to Tottenham Hotspur stadium. Um, and it's a better pitch as well, from what I understand. So that's going to be really helpful with our our style play that we like to play. You know, um, some of the the pitches, other places in the WSL, which included the Hive last season, were not the greatest grounds um, in terms of fluid attacking play. Mm. So, <laughs> hmm. yeah. And hopefully, we see the team at at the the real stadium, right? A, a bit more. That seems to be. The, the noises coming out of the club is that that's something that they're going to try and do more often, I guess, to try and capitalize on the sort of boom in interest from the summer. Um, yeah. Rosa, I know you've been a, a sort of fierce advocate for, for that. And I guess what, what needs to happen? Is it just, you know, more synced up kind of scheduling between the men's and the women's team to ensure that, you know, they don't play on the same day or maybe, you know, I've, I've, I've read in certain places that sort of double headers should be, you know, tried 
it should be introduced where you perhaps you know you buy one ticket and you get one match after another what rosa what what do you reckon needs to happen for the for the next step in terms of attendances and just general interest yeah, I think they do need to sync up the um, matches, but I do, I, I'm personally like vehemently against the idea of double headers. I think the crowds are so different. I think it would be an absolute disaster, to be honest. And I don't think you want the women playing a sort of supporting act mm. in any way. That's just not how it should be. Um, what I would like to see the club do is just, just go all out this season and just really, really promote the team and every single player. I feel like they do a pretty good job on social media. What they What I don't think they do enough is actually kind of tell us who every player is there's a there are so many posts and they don't tag anyone and if you don't know who the players are then mm. you don't know and I think it's just that that sort of level it's just pretty basic but actually you just have to just put the team in front of everybody and let us get to know them they're a great team they're they're fun to watch um there's there's just no excuses anymore. We've all seen what happened at the Euros and even if none of those players were kind of part of that triumph it doesn't matter. Like we're all ready for it, I think. So just do it basically. Stop wasting everybody's time. Even if we don't end up having a lot of games at the stadium, that doesn't matter either. I think mm. I think going to Leighton Orient, you know, aside for anything else, without kind of saying anything about the hive, like I feel like people have heard of Leighton Orient. So I feel like that makes it that just gives it a bit of an extra boost as well. Yeah. Yeah. I totally see that. Um Last question, Carolyn. Is there any? You're obviously based in the US. I know you're a huge fan of 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 women's soccer over over where you are. What what lessons can be learned? Do you think from WSL teams to try and sort of reach that that next level of of interest and attendances and you know that just that level of support? I guess. Well, I'm not sure that the most of the US teams have much better attendance um, actually than WSL right? teams okay. do. So it's kind of, it's very uneven at the moment. So the new expansion teams, I think have been doing um, really well with attendances, uh, the teams out in California, um, one of which I've started supporting the San Diego wave because Alex Morgan is on that team. Um, so, you know, once a spur, always a spur. <laughs> Um, I'm not. I'm not sure she remembers that she played for Spurs as much. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently she was very influential in like getting the women's team into the the training ground and oh, yeah, lots of behind that. the scenes stuff. So good, I don't know. Good, she good, might good, not remember good. it much in in her <laughs> career, but she had a big impact on the team. So good, we can good. be grateful for that. But yeah, I think it's just um, plugging into the local communities. So. And, and really, there are a lot of teams here where it'll be, you know, the same situation. It's there's a men's team and there's a women's team and there's got to be a lot more, I guess you could say, synergy between the two teams in terms of like marketing and um, having that like one club mentality of like, if you support the men's team, you're supporting the women's team, too. Like it's all it's all part of the same club. So I don't know from from afar, it, it can feel like frustrating to see games where there's not as many fans because I'm like I'd be there in a heartbeat if I lived there <laughs> um but you know I guess I try to do my part from over here just uh talking about the women's team as much as I can and not to shamelessly plug my other podcast but you know within 17 women we started it because not enough people were talking about the team. And I feel like yeah. there was kind of a barrier to entry for new fans. You know, they just, like you said, they need to know more about the players. 
more about Rianne, you know, and her coaching philosophy, just all of it. Absolutely. No, you guys are doing sterling work and without it, there just wouldn't, there wouldn't be that entry point for people. So thank you ever so much for introducing that podcast into the, into the Spurs podcast universe. It's a fine addition. Um, and again, just thank you for your insight and for joining us um, to talk about not just Spurs women, but Spurs men, of course. Um, now, before we let you go, of course, you're going to have to join in with some uh, with some culture picks, Caroline. I hope you've got something prepared. Um, Rosa, let's go to you first. What have you got for us this week? Um, I finally I finished season two of Girls Five Ever. Ah. Uh. Isn't oh it? Oh my good? god! Isn't it it's just... so good. It's so good. It's so funny, and just actually really heartfelt this season as well. So I don't feel like the songs are quite as strong as season one, but the one they do, that's like their love song to their like dead band member, like really got me, man. <laughs> I was like properly. I don't know if it was just my mood. But I was like, am I actually crying at Girls Five Ever episode? Yes, I am. Um, I loved it. I'm like obsessed with Renee she's just the absolute queen of everything and should be a megastar everything she says is hilarious her comic timing is impeccable all of her facial expressions and what a voice so yeah I'm so glad I finally got around to it I absolutely loved it I can't remember a second series of a comedy that just improves with every episode like that it's um it's such a good watch and I feel like everyone should be everyone should be watching Girls 5 ever um Billy, what's yours, please? Um, so I'm going to go for a bit of stand-up comedy, um, which has been right on the mainstream of um, Twitter this week because it kind of like kicked off in a bit of a debate. So Stuart Lee, who's like my all-time favourite stand-up comedian, um, has got two-hour specials at the moment, both on BBC. One of them is was last week called Snowflake, and one of them is Tornado, which was supposed to be on, on last Sunday, but has now been, I think, moved to Friday. So they're both on iPlayer anyway. They will be when the other one airs anyway. Um, and I, I saw the show live like four or five times. I, he's my absolute hero, um, and he was amazing. But why it kind of kicked off this week is because he like slagged off Ricky Gervais in this interview that he did with Rob Brydon, um, and in particular Afterlife. And I, you know... It's kind of been like sad for me because I grew up when I was in school. I used to like idolize Ricky Gervais. He's like my absolute hero. And to see what he sort of turned into and become is like deeply upsetting. And I think with The Office, he made like one of the best British comedy things we've ever done. And I think Afterlife is absolutely like beyond abysmal. And Stuart Lee's basically gone viral this week for saying it's like one of the worst things anyone from England has ever created. And I, I totally agree. I think it's absolutely awful. But his specials are amazing. And um, there is a, like a really lengthy bit in his first special about Ricky Gervais, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, for those reasons, um, Stuart Lee, Snowflake Tornado, and they're both on BBC. Thank you very much. Um, and Caroline, your picks, please. Yeah, I had a couple, if that's okay. Of course, um, yeah, of course. Rosa <laughs> used to be very, uh, very, very firm about this, but she seems to have loosened up a bit with uh, <laughs> being quite so strict. So, yeah, go for it. So the first one is um, an Australian singer, Julia Jacqueline, has a new album. I think it was just out last month called Pre-Pleasure. I think she's one of the best singer-songwriters working today, honestly. Um, and if you haven't, listen to any of her work she kind of straddles the line between like folk music and actual rock music I don't know how she makes it work but she does <laughs> and yeah her her songs are just incredible 
And I had also recently read um, the short story collection by Colin Barrett called Homesickness. Uh, he's an Irish author. I kind of got into reading more Irish authors after the whole Sally Rooney craze, um, even though her last book hugely disappointed me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, this collection, it, it was great. And there's actually a story in it that's about a, a guy who was released from Manchester United's Academy and kind of how he navigates post-soccer life. Um, so I think that would be interesting to a lot of your, your listeners. Very nice. Good picks. Good picks. I am going back to Julia Jacqueline. I loved what was was it? Don't let the kids win. Was that her kind of breakout album? Like 2016, 17 ish. Love that album. And for some reason, I don't know, just sheer volume of music, I guess that just sort of clobbers you around the head every week, but never quite kept up. So I'm going to, that's a useful reminder that I need to explore some of her more recent stuff. So thank you. And that book of short stories also sounds right up our street um excellent picks i am just gonna recommend the capture season two um which is on bbc right now starring holiday granger um it's really really good it's um it's about this kind of correction idea um so sort of shadowy police forces introducing um sort of footage that they've doctored to kind of fit up terrorists and people of interest um but of course this technology gets um kind of hacked and into the wrong hands etc etc just one of those really good sort of it's a bit black mirrory it's a bit spooksy it's kind of the nights are drawing in a little the bbc do these things very well and holiday granger i think is terrific as well so Thoroughly recommend that. Um, and Phoenix have a new song out um, with Ezra Koenig on it, which is very, very exciting. Two of my all-time favourite bands linking up. Um, so Alpha Zulu is the album that this song tonight is taken off. Um, the album's coming a little later in the autumn. I'm very, very excited as a Phoenix mega fan. So yeah, do check that out. Um, nice one. That, I think wraps up another fine episode of hometown glory caroline thank you so much for being our very special guest we've loved having you on i'm sure rosa and billy both wholeheartedly agree with me there um please come back soon will you come back soon i would be happy to it was a blast excellent excellent um rosa billy caroline thank you all so much for your company this has been uh episode six season two of hometown glory billy see you soon please I'm as first. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.